everybody. How are you? Um, I'm okay. I'm, I've been better. Um, the, and that, it's groggy. It's groggy, but it's also sort of, you know, I don't know. It was just a weird weekend, you know, by starting off uh, Friday morning. Weird, weird, weird news. Um, obviously, the, um, the news about uh, Chef Tony. I don't know how to take it, really, you know, because um, it's not like we knew each other, right? It's not like we were friends. But and and I've never, you know, of all of the uh, people in the public eye that have either died too early, uh, whatever that means, on time, whatever that means, uh, you know, Jerry Garcia, David Bowie, whoever, you know. Um, It's funny because I, I was never really affected by it. And what's even funnier is that I'm not even really a huge Anthony Bourdain fan, really. Uh, I never really, I haven't even seen many of his shows, to be honest with you. I just know that we basically did the same thing. <laughs> you know, like a lot of people would tell me that, you know, they would say, oh, this is like a lot like no reservations. And so then when I would talk to people about the show and they had no idea what I was talking about, I would explain it using you know, Anthony Bourdain's show as a reference. So I don't know. We had this weird parallel, um, existence. I thought I looked up to him. Someone had told me a story last summer about how they rode on a helicopter with him. And, um, you know, it was this friend of mine, ex-girlfriend, actually very beautiful. And she was in line, um, at the, at the waiting area, uh, in Manhattan to take a helicopter to the Hamptons and there's like a waiting room, I guess. I don't know. I've never, never done that before. And, you know, Anthony Bourdain shows up and sits in the waiting room and he's quite early like her. I think they're like an hour or two early. And he, uh, just chain smokes, uh, Marlboro Reds basically goes in and out of the waiting room and smokes all the cigarettes, which I could relate to cause I used to smoke. And, um, then, they get on the plane, they get on the chopper and they start flying and the pilot, I guess Anthony's in the cockpit. I guess he's like sitting next to the pilot. And after like a few minutes of flying, the pilot goes, all right, you want to take over? And so Anthony just flies this helicopter that I guess my friend is on as a passenger. I don't know how that works legally, but she remember, I remember her describing him as like, uh, he was not interested in her at all, which I mean, you know, she was upset about because she's, you know, single. But in a way, I was like, you know, good for you, Anthony. Like, don't be a creep, you know, like, not don't creep it on whoever you see, you know. And I think at the time he had a girlfriend or he was married or something. But anyway, it was just a weird bit of news that kind of, for me, just, I don't know, really. And also, we were in Death Valley when we heard the news, which is sort of a weird place to be hearing news about someone you admire being dead. And you're in this place that's huge, that's very hot, that has more stars than I've ever seen at night in the sky. Um, there's not really a lot that is alive in the valley that at least, I mean, there is some obviously ecosystem of living things, but you know, obviously it's named death Valley for a reason. 
<laughs> and I think that's because most things go there to die. And there's this golf course and there are these people and it's a strange place, lonely, you know? And so we went there for work, obviously. We shot our um, sixth episode of Adventures in Golf. Seven, eight, nine. A seventh episode? Eight, nine, ten. Yeah, we have three more to go. So we shot our seventh episode. Um, and I think it was really, really successful. I think we did a great job. And, and one of the funny things is, as me and Stuart and David go out and continue filming, we always sort of watch an episode wrap up and and on camera and, and we watch it unfold because you know you've got the the episode that you plan for in movie terms they call it the episode or the film that you write and then you've got the episode that you know actually happens they call that the script the movie that you shoot and then you've got the uh the episode that you edit which is obviously the footage that you've taken so there's three opportunities to write a movie that's the mic that I just hit with my hand. Um, and so, I don't know, it's funny because we're there. And, I mean, they never are what you expect, right? You In your head, you have this whole idea of what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like and who you're going to meet and, um, you know, what the weather's going to be and what the lodging is going to be like. And, I mean, this... Interestingly, this one above all was the most counter to my original expectations um, while we were planning the idea. I don't know. It was just like, well, first of all, we were staying in this hotel that was like one of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed in. I was blown away. Um, the food was pretty good. And, um, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was much more beautiful the landscape than I thought it would be. I had been to Death Valley, I think two other times. This time really having the time and the mobility with our crew to kind of go to where the magic is. I mean, we obviously have our scheduled things to do, but mostly while we're shooting, we try to keep as much flexibility as we can so that, you know, we can um, be inspired um, by some random occurrence and then go with that. You know, we a lot of times we take wrong turns and end up sort of down a bit of a rabbit hole that's a tangent. Not too much unlike the Eric Lang Show podcast. Um, so anyway, it was just a weird weekend to hear the news while we're in this weird place. And I mean, even more weird is we were driving out on Thursday night and uh, David, who's our wonderful um, director of photography, started talking to me about... Uh, a recent episode of Parts Unknown where Anthony goes to Hong Kong. And David and I had been to Hong Kong on a layover. We had 36 hours in the town. And I kind of love having 36 hours in a new city because it really um, forces you to uh, essentialize what's happening. You know, it forces you to make immediate decisions that are not based on anything other than, you know, what is your primary goal? And, you know, if you have 36 hours in the city, I feel like the primary goal is to experience as much as possible. So it's always not, it's never going to really be sorted. The decisions aren't going to be centered around comfort, right? Uh, they're going to be centered around experience. And, you know, I mean, I try to live in a macro way in my life by those rules, you know, like what, what imagining that, you know, the end of this trip is very soon 
How am I going to make decisions based around the present? And so, yeah, David and I had this wonderful opportunity to, to go through Hong Kong on our way home from uh, Nepal last year. And, I mean, it was just magical. We, we, we had, uh, from Kathmandu, we had about a five, six, seven hour red eye. We got into Hong Kong at like six in the morning. And we got in a cab with all of our gear and um, went to our hotel. But they obviously weren't going to allow us to check in. So we dropped our bags. And then just fucking walked. We hoofed it. And, um, you know, we went and got coffee. We got breakfast. We did this. We did that. And then I had a friend there randomly. And so um, she took us around and we went on a bit of like a tour. And then David was like, all right, I definitely have food poisoning. I need to go. <laughs> I need to go to bed. So David went to bed. Poor guy. And um, and then I just continued on and went around and then. We went to dinner with a bunch of random friends and on the other side of the island by the beach. Uh, went to a Greek restaurant and uh, went to see some jazz. I mean, it was just like... And the city itself is really inspiring because it's all on steps and the buildings are very well juxtaposed. Like, you know, you've got like a... You know, um, the whole city is kind of like black and white, right? You've got old buildings with very old people and then you've got brand new buildings with very young people and you've got, you know, very typical traditional, um, Chinese or, or Hong Kong kind of culture. And then you've got all these tremendous amount of expats that kind of come there to make money and to earn money and stuff. So anyway, David and I had a wonderful time there, even just in 36 hours. And so to hear him say, wow, you got to watch Anthony's episode on Hong Kong. It'll make you want to go back. I was like, whoa, dude, that's, that says a lot, you know, because, well, first of all, I don't really, I don't know, like, I, I have kind of a rule where I don't like to go back places, unless it's someplace like really, really, really big and rich with local culture, like Tokyo, uh, Scotland, obviously, you know, but most, most times I really try not to go back to a place or I try not to drive the same way to places, you know, to, they say that that's how you kind of can test your mind by using a different route, you know? So I always told myself, geez, I would never go back to Hong Kong because it's just, I did it. You know what I mean? It's very small. I feel like I saw a lot of it. Um, but who knows? I mean, you never know. Like, I think one of the exciting things about, you know, it's funny cause I, I don't really like to travel for fun, <laughs> you know? I mean, I do, but I struggle with finding a purpose if I went to Cabo for the weekend. Like I would just be like, well, I want to go explore. And, you know, in some ways, even as a young, a young kid, like when I was in my early teens, like I would love to go, um, take photos cause I love photography. And so the camera would in a sense become like the Ouija board. And then I would end up in some weird neighborhood or like by a mountain. And then I would be photographing it. And that was like the reason to do it, the reason to do something. So yeah, I don't know, going on vacation to me, like, I don't know. I'm like, well, what, but what, but this is kind of selfish, you know, like I would rather record it and like talk about it. And I don't know. It was like, it's kind of a dead end, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I came back from death Valley, like obviously a little sleep deprived, a little overheated, a little exhausted and a little sad. I mean, I'm always a little bit boned when I return, you know, it's always, 
it's always like a, a a wave, you know, a wave of excitement, and then in between the next wave, there's sort of a moment of just sort of quiet, and then you compile that with the news of of someone whom whether or not they were great or whatever, you don't know them, but they were just this kind of uh, poster in the distance that that you recognized and identified with, and that you thought, oh, well we're on the same team or something to have them go away, especially with suicide. You don't, I have no idea what the circumstances were and I kind of don't really even read the news. Um, and I don't really watch TV, but <laughs> so I get my information from somewhere. I don't know where it comes from, but, um, it's even more sad, you know, cause you're just like, Oh, well, what would that moment actually be like? To actually be there and be like, no, this is the end. I don't know. That's a lot. I can't picture it. And what's funny is I've been probably closer than most people to actually picturing it as far as, you know, the experience of wanting to get sober is pretty intense because you are basically between a rock and a hard place. Usually, I mean... You know, as if you're a real drug addict and you're really doing drugs the way you are supposed to as a drug addict, which is all the time as much as possible, then the consequences are really filtering down into every tributary of your life, whether it's physical, uh, social, like family, financial, emotional, like everything hurts. Right? Your your lungs hurt or your fucking fingers hurt from the lighter. Uh, you burn your lips or you, know, you got diarrhea or you got headaches or your eyes are bloodshot. And then you got, uh, you know, money. Pro- you probably have money problems at this point, right? Um, unless you're one of the few that's lucky enough. But you probably have problems with money. How do you earn it? How are you spending it all right away? You're borrowing money but not paying it back. That was my... Uh, story and then you got the social stuff people don't trust you. you you're not really showing up when you said you would you know and then anyway all of those kind of conspired to get you to a place where you kind of feel like you're on the end of a plank and there's sort of like three ways to jump right and and they talk about it a lot in the uh, recovery program that I went to which is they say that you're going to end up in three places, right? Jails, institutions, or death. And I mean, well, I've been to jail. I've definitely been to an institution. And while I haven't died, I've definitely either accidentally come close to it or pondered intentionally coming close to it, which is what you do when you are at the end of your rope and you're like, I can't. They, they also talk about being not being able to get sober, but also not being able to get drunk anymore. Like as if the material had stopped its effectiveness. So it's weird for me to be a person that's been, you know, in, in, in an early part of my life, like very close to that feeling of despair and just like, I don't want to live this way. And then spending a lot of time and energy not really understanding how else to live, right? Like having no tools, no guidebook, so, I don't know, man. I just, my heart goes out to Anthony and his family and friends and everybody who, 
is now affected, right? Because you just don't know. You just don't know, man. Um, I don't know. So anyway, yeah, I'm just like, uh, what do we talk about? It's been 14 minutes, 16 minutes. We listened to Mark Marin did a great podcast with Anthony about five or six years ago. Mark Marin and I actually got sober together, which is kind of weird to hear him do a podcast with Anthony. They talk a little bit about being sober and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Also watched Point Break the other day, talking about crazy people, Gary Busey. I mean, he's like, it's, it's funny how great people are often very troubled. I wonder what if they're ever going to figure that out, you know? What is it about a stroke of creative brilliance and then the lack of ability to be able to manage the normal vicissitudes of life? What is that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. But anyway, I sat next to Gary Busey on a plane and I remember being like, this dude is difficult. Like he was fucked up. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I got a couple days here and then um, I'm headed out Thursday, very early uh, for three weeks. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a fun one, you know. But it's gonna be packed in. I get, it's funny. People are like, oh, "Are you excited to go on the trip?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't. I don't know what that feeling is. Like, I'm not really excited. It's not that I'm not. It's not that I'm negative about it. But it's like I get uh, excited once we're like in the car, like on the way to the airport or something. Because um, mostly right now, my thoughts are centered around everything that could go wrong. Like, you know, I mean, if we lose one screw, like that really does complicate things or whatever it is, you know? So I go into like production mode. Um, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm really excited. I'm excited for Sweden actually to, to finish it off in Sweden for some fun. That'll be really interesting. Um, obviously I'm Swedish. Well, maybe not obviously, but, um, that'll be interesting. <sighs> what I'm really excited for is late. I'm excited for the summer. I'm excited to see what happens next with all of these golf um, opportunities and endeavors, right? Like we've talked so much about on my own, like what, what, what do I really want to do in golf? Well, I've got this period of time left. What, what can I offer to the game of golf? And so that's what I'm really excited about is to do the next thing. I mean, on some level, like I said, with Death Alley, like, the three of us, we show up, we do our job, we kind of are surprised that it that it works out so well, and then it gets cut together, and it's like, oh man, that was really good, and we've come up, not like not like it's a boring formula, but it's become sort of like we know what we need to do to get the episode done, and so it's become a bit like, oh yeah, we got this, but now I'm excited for when we don't have it, like I'm excited for what is going to be like, oh, we don't know how to do this, like this is, we've never done this. You know, whether, what is that? Like, whether it's a different kind of content or whether it's like, you know, some bigger project or, you know, I'm just, that's what I'm excited for. Something we've never done, you know, and something that can directly benefit the world of golfers at large, you know? Um, so that's what I'm really excited about. And I mean, I realize I'm, that's all very vague 
uh, but there's a reason, <laughs> you know, but I am just really, really excited for what else I can do. Right. And so that's, that's what I kind of do when I go to bed, right. Before I go to bed, I kind of think about that and I get really inspired by looking at like what other people have done. Um, all right. So let's see, I got, uh, I got a couple, I got a quite, I got a funny question here, actually. Let's see. So, um, uh, uh, Clint Hudson asks, uh, have I ever had a run in with bees or wasps on the course? I got destroyed on Sunday, poking around the wrong bush, LOL, for an errant tee shot. Little guys can be vicious. That's Clint Hudson. So yeah, it's funny you ask. I do have, um, a pretty funny story. So when I first, um, was like going through the process of joining Wilshire, I went to, uh, you know, you got to like go play all these like rounds with the membership committee, which is like terrifying. It's, it's like a, um, it's like a, uh, uh, a, um, an audition, you know? And, and, you know, like I'm, I'm really feeling like I can't be myself. And this is also a long time ago. I mean, you gotta remember this is pre, um, I think it's pre adventures in golf. Or it's right around that time. I'm pretty sure it's before. I can't remember. Um, but, you know, so I got to go and I got to play golf with all these old guys that I don't know that are very nice, but I'm convinced don't like me, you know, for whatever reason. And so they're like, all right, well, you got, you know, first round will be with this and this and this person. And this is the president. So, you know, whatever, be on your, I'm like, I don't know what that even means. The president of what? Like, I don't understand. Who is this person? And, um, you know, I have these, like, tattoos on my wrists and, like, down on my forearms and on my fingers. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to... Sorry. Fucking... So, I, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to, um, you know, bring... bring uh, I'm going to wear long sleeves and pants because I want to be dressed really nice. I don't, I don't want to um, be, like sticking out you know so I wear the only I was poor so the only pants I had were uh like fucking double insulated uh like golf pants <laughs> with like fleece on the inside and then the I had a sweater and so I'm wearing a sweater and it's like June in Los Angeles and it's hot like it is a hot day so I'm sweating and I'm just trying to be cool you know I'm just trying not to curse or say anything really stupid and, um, you know, we, we play a few holes. I think I hit a couple of really bad shots and I was totally embarrassed. And, um, after <laughs> I can't, I think we were on like the six hole or something we've been playing for a while. I think we were only going to play nine holes. And, um, anyway, I'm walking down the fairway and I feel this thing like kind of bite my kneecap. So I just slap my kneecap. And as I slap my kneecap, I realize like, oh, it's probably like maybe something bigger than a mosquito. And I can feel it when I slap my kneecap. And I can also feel that it's not dead. And then I can also feel that it wasn't a bug bite. Like it, I have been stung by something in my knee. And I'm wearing these insulated pants that are actually kind of tight. And so I look around at the guys and I'm like in a panic. And I'm like, guys, I think I've just been stung by a bee on my pants, on my knee. And I need to take my pants off. And they're like, no problem. And then, so then I unbuckle the the belt 
I yanked the pants down and I realized that I'm wearing like purple underwear. <laughs> and uh, then the bee just falls out. And I realized that I've definitely, there is like a large already like silver dollar red mark on my kneecap with the black stinger just stuck in there. And then they're all coming over looking at my legs with their head really close to my crotch and the purple underwear. Yeah. And then, um, that was it. That was, uh, that was my run in. And it was on like one of these membership rounds where you're supposed to be on your best behavior. At least I didn't have like some dumb tattoo on my like thighs or something like that. Um, but that was that. And now here I am upstanding member. I haven't ever gotten a letter, which is something that you get when you do, when you have like bad behavior. I haven't gotten one, which is, I mean, that's a, that's a thrill, right? I, I sort of have a feeling of like, uh, uh, I feel I'm very proud of that actually. Um, oh, sorry. I'm all over the place today. Um, so good question. Um, oh, here's a good one. Mm, this is good. Listening to you talk about Bobby Jones, I wanted to ask you, what is the best lesson you've learned from golf? <sighs> okay, well, that's tough. I mean, I feel like we could talk about this for the rest of our lives. Um, I mean, what's interesting about golf is that it's almost like um, it's a diary, you know? Like, like each time you go out and play you're going to have a new entry. And so to, to sort of be like, what's the thing I've learned from golf the most? Like, I mean, I have no, it's a, that's, that's like, that's like saying what has life taught me? Like they're the, they're, I mean, I've had so many experiences in golf, whether it's, um, just learning how to play, whether it's being surprised by the people that you meet, watching your expectations be, um, you know, flipped, whether it's, um, you know, not swinging as hard and hitting the ball further, whether, you know, whether it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, whether it's trying something that feels uncomfortable and watching that it actually works better in the swing. I don't know. I mean, each day is really, if, if you, if you're open-minded enough and if you're willing to just sort of like not know. I mean, that's what was really cool about this um, podcast with Anthony Bourdain and, and Mark Marin called uh, WTF, like I said, five or six years ago. But it's but Anthony talks a lot about how he's very interested in the people who don't know, right? People who know and have a very distinct opinion are very scary to him. And I mean, I feel the same exact way. Like, how could you know anything, right? Everything is, I think, if looked at properly, completely mysterious. And your opinion is not only not correct, but compared to everybody else's opinions, it's obviously just one. But also your opinion, I think, should be um, subject to change. You know, that, that's been my experience in my whole life, is that even when I think I feel something, I will probably feel the other way at some point, if not sooner or later. No matter what it is. I mean, obviously the big picture is I hated golf. And then I came to it and I've come to love it. And I've pretty much loved it ever since I started. I've had, you know, 
hot and cold days or warm and lukewarm days. But, you know, my experience overall is for the first 29 years of my life, I thought I was right because I didn't like golf, but 30 years in, I realized, huh, I'm wrong. So on the whole, I was 80% wrong according to my stance now. And maybe I'll get to 60 and I'll still love golf and then I'll still only be 50% right. So the idea of, of knowing is funny, you know, because even when you hit a shot off the tee, right, you're like, that's good. Well, who cares? Because if it is or it isn't, it doesn't mean anything. Like we don't really care because you're either going to make the next shot or miss the next shot. And none of us base our friendships around those results. <laughs> In fact, probably the reverse, right? The more hot the energy is around wanting to do that and make it and prove something is the less likely I'm going to be like, yeah, I would love to spend more time with you, the guy who seems to only care about the success of his own game. Right? That's pretty boring. I know that. What isn't boring is someone who, you know, is like, much more interested in the moment and the, and the ridiculousness of it all and the uncertainty, you know, people who know, what do you know anyway? I look back on myself, right? I'm 37 now. I look back on myself at 32, at 27, at 22, at 17, all those gaps, right? I look back five years is typically the amount of time I need to realize that I was a complete fucking idiot and everything I thought I knew like 32 wow where was I at 32 man I was living in some dude's basement um I I had a shitty car a Volvo 240 wagon holler I bought it for a G a thousand bucks I had driven it all over the country a tape player and um you know I played golf. Um, I had no idea that I would really make a golf movie or host a golf show. Or I thought I was going to be a director. You know, I thought I was going to write a screenplay and be a documentarian and continue on that path. And I think I thought I was pretty sure of it. So I don't know. I mean, I think we probably all have experiences like that where we go through. Um, every five years and just see like how we thought we knew something, you know, like going back to 27, it was like, I had just moved to Los Angeles and I hated LA. I was convinced that LA sucked. And it's so funny to see like, now I'm like, I love this city. You know, this city's great. You know, at 27, I don't know. It's just so funny to watch us like fold over the certainties of the past and move into what we are now. Let's see if I have any other notes. I'm kind of tired. I don't know if you could tell. I'm tired. Oh, I cannot stop hitting the mic. I apologize. Um. Yeah. That's. I mean, I got some weird things, but you know, I think. I don't know. Let's see. Let's go on Instagram. Anything going on on Instagram? 
The Rock, he's on a private plane. Good for him. I love when The Rock gets on a private plane. Makes me very happy. Um, question, are you a partner or brand ambassador for Vice Golf? Which Vice Ball would you recommend as comparable to the Callaway Chrome Software TaylorMade TPX Titleist AVX? The Vice Pro or Pro Tour? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I am a brand ambassador for Vice Golf. I don't know. That sounds so lame, though. I don't want that to be true. Um, I made their commercials, and I currently, luckily enough, forgot to mention everybody, this podcast is brought to you by Vice Golf. Thanks for the reminder, um, guy on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, check out the wonderful commercials we did for Vice on the Golf Channel, where I offer unsolicited advice to players. And ultimately, you know, I mean, the cool thing about Vice Golf is basically they make a solid golf ball that is, uh, you know, half the price because they do it online only. So if you go online, buy a ball, tell them I said what's up. Buy, I think if you buy five dozen, you get an even more extreme discount. Obviously, you're spending upwards of $100 at that point. But what are you going to do? You got to, sometimes you got to make an omelet. You got to break some eggs, you know. Uh, also, this podcast is brought to you by Adidas Golf Shoes. I'll be honest, I played a lot of golf shoes. Um, I think Adidas are my favorite because they're hella comfy. Also, you've got across the line of Adidas, you got a lot of different types of shoes. You got like kind of more casual, uh, and then you've got like more like uh, in betweenies, like you could wear them on the golf course or wherever. And then you've got like the extreme golf shoe that like Dustin wears and, you know, DJ wears and Sergio. Like, I kind of like those, which is funny because I've never really liked an extreme golf shoe. I don't really like spikes, but these are so comfortable. And I love the knit. I love the boost. And I just love the look and the profile. Like, I just, I literally feel like Michael Jackson when I put them on. So thanks, Adidas. Thanks, Vice. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, what's well, going to be a good week? I hope everyone has a great week. Look forward to um, Anna Rawson's podcast coming out on Thursday. That'll be really good. She talks about um, being an Australian. She talks about uh, being a mom, um, working in golf. Uh, we talk a little bit about PXG, which is kind of cool. I'm hoping we can score an interview with uh, Bob Parsons, the man behind the PXG mask. And um, yeah. Be well, everybody. Do what you got to do to be happy. Hit the gym. Go for a run. You know, shave. I don't care. Whatever you got to do. You know, wake up early. I don't know. And um, by the time uh, when I hear from you next, I will be in. I think I'll be in Buffalo. Probably going to try to find out where they come up with Buffalo wings. So that'll be exciting. Um, all right. Have a great week. Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. Watch some of his stuff. Let's get in. Let's 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 continue to be inspired by what he did, and um, you know, use that as an opportunity to uh, you know just be people. Let's let's pretend like we're real human beings. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.